Welcome back, everyone, to Season 3 of the Axe Church Podcast. This season will be a little different from the previous two seasons in that it will be an archive of sermons and Bible studies from the past several years. We see this as an opportunity to create a source for learning, a library of study that you can tune into and listen to wherever you listen to podcasts. Our hope is that you will learn and grow in your relationship with God and receive the revelation of truth. God bless, and we hope you enjoy. If you have your Bibles, go to the Hebrews, the second chapter and verse number one. Hebrews chapter two and verse one. Hopefully we will get to doing something on the church by the beginning of next If we can start by Monday of next week, hopefully, or sometime next week, hopefully we can have a building put up before the first of the year, and then uh, we'll be first part of the summer, spring time that we can be through and be in it, Lord willing, excited. I'm excited about reaching souls. That's what it's all about, amen? Souls, souls. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And this is the point I want to get to today which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, that's Jesus, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. All right? So this gospel that we have received and we're preaching and we're believing today was first spoken by Jesus, and it was confirmed to us by his apostles, by those that heard him. So it is the apostles, it's the message of the apostles that we have got to preach. It's the doctrine of the apostles that we got to stand upon, and it's going to be confirmed through his word. Amen? So we're in our search for truth study, we're going through, and we're now talking about the persecution of the church. We're talking about the apostle Paul, he is the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 1, and I want to use that as a launching pad for this lesson today. We're going to talk about this great, glorious gospel. How many of you know or believe we're living in the last days? I believe the rapture of the church is upon us. Today is definitely the day of salvation. Now's not the time to be playing games with God. Now's not the time to be playing patty cake with Jesus. Now's not the time to be a Sunday Christian. I, I was thinking yesterday, and while you're turning there, I don't want to get off tra- chasing rabbit trails, but I was thinking yesterday about uh, when Jesus went through picking the corn on the Sabbath and, and ate it, and uh, he, he caught flack over it, and uh, the, the Jews got mad at him, constantly getting mad at him over doing works on the Sabbath day, and, and, uh, and he said, you're not supposed to esteem one day above the other. The day was made for the man... Uh, uh, not man for the day. So uh, you're not supposed to esteem one day above another. I got to thinking about that. And wouldn't it be awesome if, if everybody would live their life 
esteeming every day as a holy day. Uh, we, we, we compartmentalize so easily, and we can place God in a compartment, and uh, we can give him part of our life. That's not a problem, but giving all of it to him is another story. We can compartmentalize that on Sunday we're going to act a little different. Oh, I didn't quit teaching and going to preaching now, had not I? On Sunday, we can act different. On Sunday, we can, we can talk a little different. We can get dressed and we can go to church and we can act like we've got something and we can engage his presence and worship him on Sunday through our actions and our words. We can do that. We can get dressed and go to church and do that on Sunday. But what about on Monday and on Tuesday? We, we don't hold them days quite as high on our calendar as we do Sunday. Woo. My wife asked me this day, uh, today when I got out the bathroom and she said, you going to meddle today? I said, nope, I ain't going to meddle at all day. I got, I'm not going to meddle one bit. Well, I'm sorry, sweetheart, I lied. <clears throat> I don't want to give him just part of my life. I want him to have all of it, amen? I want to be holy on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday, amen? Because he is worthy of it. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. This gospel is to be preached in all the world for a witness to him. Acts chapter 1, uh, verse number 8. I want to get to the last part of that. That's what I want to focus on here. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Now, we understand that the Holy Ghost was poured out first in Jerusalem and then it spread to all of Judea and then Samaria. You go through the book of Acts and you'll see that that was the progression. It went from Jerusalem and it spread throughout Israel, throughout Judea, and then it went to Samaria, which is half Jew, half Gentile, and then it began to spread around the world. Now, the Apostle Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles and he first starts persecuting the church and then on the road to Damascus, I know you've all heard the story in Sunday school, but I'll go over it again. And um, he, he is persecuting the church for one reason. And the reason why is because the Apostle Paul is a devout Jew. He is a devout Jew. And a Jew uh, is the first people that are monotheistic. This is uh, Bible studies that we're teaching. So we're going to talk about this. Monotheistic. Mono meaning one. They are one God. Theistic meaning deity or God. So they are one God people. They are the first and the only uh, people that are one God people. All other peoples are multiple God peoples. They, they all worship more than one God. And uh, in, during, during the Old Testament, and even during the New Testament, at the beginning of the New Testament, all of the nations served uh, gods that were involved in, in uh, were a triune god. E Egypt had their triune gods. And all I could go into that. I heard a uh, fabulous message by Brother Woodward this week talking about that. It was oh, so awesome. Talking about the triuneness of all the false gods. But Israel was a one God people. Deuteronomy 6 and 4 was their first uh, verse of Scripture that they would teach their children. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's one, one God. And so the problem that Israel had with this new sect called Christians, Christianity was, is that Jesus Christ came using the, the name that was allotted to Jehovah. 
You see in the Old Testament, uh, they, they got to the, had gotten to the point to where they had outlawed using the name of God, Jehovah or Yahweh. They took out all the, the vowels at first, and they just used the consonants of the name. And then finally they got down to where uh, they wouldn't use any of the, the consonants at all, and they outlawed using the name of God. And the name that they knew him by was, in trans, there's no actual literal translation into English other than the, the translation of it is I am, or I will be what I will be. And that was the name of God is I am. And uh, he revealed himself to them in many ways. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom, uh, the Almighty God, uh, the, the Lord. All those, uh, these, these uh, Adonai, which basically means the Lord. They, they, they would not speak I am. They would not say it. And so even it got down to where the priests could only say it. And then it got down to where they outlawed it to where the priest couldn't say it, that only the high priest could say it when he went in once a year on the Day of Atonement. And then finally they got it down to where they outlawed it. This is in Josephus. You can read the history of this. They outlawed it so even the high priest could not even use the, the name I am. But when Jesus came, he was always using I am like it belonged to him. <laughs> I am. The way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread. I am the light. I am. And Caiaphas, when he was interviewing Jesus, he was so upset because Jesus was claiming to be Jehovah, manifest in flesh, the Messiah, the just one, the Christ. He was so upset that when he interviewed Jesus and he, he said, are you the one? Are you the anointed one? Are you the Christ? Are you him? And Jesus looked at him and said, I am. It made Caiaphas so mad. There was a law in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus that says it is against the law for the high priest to rip his garments. You cannot tear your garments because that gives a sign of hopelessness. That means you're without hope. The high priest shall not tear his garments. When Caiaphas was standing in front of Jesus, and Jesus said, I am. You know what Caiaphas did? The Bible said he grabbed his priestly garments and he ripped them. And when he did that, the role of the high priest left him and was transferred to Jesus Christ. And when he went to the cross, he not only went to the cross as our sacrifice, but he went as our high priest, hallelujah, that entered into the holiest of holies to make atonement for you and I. Isn't that awesome? And so the Apostle Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul, and he hated this new sect because they were claiming that Jesus Christ was Jehovah. And he's on the road to Damascus. I know you've heard the story. And he's on the road to Damascus, and he thinks he's doing God's business. He thinks he's doing what he's supposed to do. And while on the road to Damascus to persecute and kill the church, a light shines on him and blinds him, knocks him down off of his beast, and he asked this question. He knows that that's Jehovah because he's a one God. Remember, he's monotheistic. He said, who art thou Adonai? Or who art thou Lord? Who art thou? And the reply comes back, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And at that moment, Saul received the revelation of who Jesus is. 
He's more than just a story. He is the king of glory. And he got that revelation who Jesus is. And so then he began to preach the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Of course, he was stoned. He was beaten. He went on three missionary journeys. He wrote 14 epistles in the New Testament. And ultimately, he was beheaded uh, in Rome. The persecution in Jerusalem, it begins to spread the gospel around the world. The next slide, Brother Mike, we're on uh, number 50. So because of the persecution in Jerusalem, the gospel begins to spread around the world. It goes through Samaria, Caesarea, and then it goes to Antioch, where they were first called Christians, and then the uttermost part of the world. In Rome is where it really began to take off. And this is where, uh, I don't know if anybody, any of you have read uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Anybody here ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? You ought to get that book and read it. It'll change your life. Uh, the things that they did to the early church, the early Christians, and they killed them, and they threw them to wild beasts and, and uh, lions and all the things that they did to the early church. But in Rome uh, is where the church really began to take off. And then, of course, the destruction, slide 51. I'm trying to hurry up and go through some of these slides because last week we didn't get through hardly any of them. Uh, of course, Jesus prophesied in Matthew chapter 24. He prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem. Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And that's when what happened in 70 AD when General Tyus uh, came in and destroyed Jerusalem, tore down the walls, tore down the tabernacle or the temple, and led away captive the Jews and all nations. The Roman armies besieged Jerusalem. Slide 52, Brother Mike. And then something major happens. Something major happens. Constantine embraces Christianity. <clears throat> Constantine was the Roman, uh, was the Roman emperor. He was the, the head, the king over all the Roman Empire. And when he embraced Christianity, uh, some major, major, major changes began to happen to create Christianity. The, in 325 AD, there was a, there started to be some insurrection and started to be some problems. And so Constantine ordered all the, the leaders of the church to gather together and have councils and begin to come up with some reasons why or some, some explanations as to why there were such problems and to try to come up with a way to try to unite the kingdom. And so he commanded them to go to Nicaea in 325 A.D. And at this, at this council is where there was a merging of... of um, uh, uh, False God worship and Christianity. They merged it together in 325 A.D. And this is where the doctrine of the Trinity was introduced. At the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. That's when baptism was changed. The mode of baptism was changed. At that day, from baptism in Jesus' name to baptism in the titles Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Now, I've read some, some, uh, some uh, theologians of our day... And they've made the statement that, well, it took the church 300 years, a little over 300 years, to finally get the full revelation of what Jesus was trying to implement. Now, just think about that just a moment. Jesus Christ himself came and started the church. 
And yet he only gave enough revelation to his apostles, to his disciples, that it would take them some 325 years before they would come into the full revelation knowledge of the plan of salvation and who he is. My Bible tells me, the apostle Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They understood and knew that he was God manifest in the flesh. And it was that revelation that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm glad I'm a part of the apostolic church. I'm glad I'm a part of the Jesus name apostolic Holy Ghost filled church that Jesus Christ founded. Amen. And so we understand that because of what began to take place and I can see I'm going to run out of time before I get to the point I want to make today. Uh, but you've got four Gospels. You've got four Gospels written by four different men from four different points of view, written to four different groups of people. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke was written in 60 A.D. 60 A.D., okay? 60 years after the death of Jesus Christ. This is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Okay? Then you have the book of John, written 30 years later to a different group of people. One of these was written to the Greeks, one was written to the Romans, uh, Mark was written to the Romans, and uh, one was written to the Jews. So you have these three that was written to the Jews, written to the Romans, and written to the Greeks. Then you have John, some 30 years later, he writes his, his gospel, and he writes it in an entirely different manner for an entirely different reason to an entirely different group of people. I'll tell you who he writes it to. He writes it to the church. Doesn't matter what nationality they're from. He writes it to the church. And he starts his gospel off like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He gets to verse 14, and he says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And all through the book of John, you see that what he is trying to do is he's trying to give a revelation or reassure the church of the revelation of who Jesus is. And so he sees something that happening to the church in 90 AD. And if you read his, uh, his uh, epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you'll see that he addresses this same issue. He talks about those that's trying to sneak in and try to bring deceit into the church. And so he warns against these things, and he's trying to give a revelation to try to keep the church from descending down into something. From descending down into something. So it starts here. This is Acts 2. The church starts Acts 2 and 1, and then it begins to descend. It starts off great, but then something begins to happen. 325 A.D., something comes in. False doctrine starts coming in. The epistles start picking up on some things. You'll see Paul writes to some things, and he talks about this is creeping in, and that's creeping in, and don't let this happen, and don't let that happen. It's warning. And you'll see a picture of this in Revelation chapter 3, chapter 2 and 3. Revelation talks about the seven churches of Asia. And in each one of these churches is a sliver of time in this grace dispensation. And in every one of these churches, he gives what's happening and how to fix it and how to repent and return to the first works. And because they didn't, 
they, they fall into what was known as the dark ages. And you have the church fall into a place of apostasy where they take the Bibles up. Can you imagine a church that, that refuses to let the parishioners read the Bible? Can you imagine a church like that? That's what the Roman Catholic Church did. They took the Bibles up and they said, you're not smart enough to get any divine revelation. That's left to the priest. That's left to us. So we'll tell you what it says. And then they change from, they, they descend on down into it. Back, baptism is changed to the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And then they go into infant baptism and sprinkling. Then they do away with submerging in water. Then they talked about infant baptism. And that's the great falling away that is, that is talked about in 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 4 and 1 John 2. And they're talking about this falling away that's going to happen and we fall into the dark ages because that they got away from the truth. They got away from the cold hard facts of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they changed salvation from repentance to what's known as penance. Does anybody know why they did this? The reason why they did this is because the church wanted power and they wanted money. So they knew that people wanted to be saved and they wanted to get in touch with God so that here's what you're going to have to do. Now you're going to have to come in and you're going to pay for it. So instead of you asking God to forgive you and changing your ways and repenting, here's what you got to do. You come and you tell me what you've done wrong. Okay, you you tell me all of your stuff, everything you've done, and then I'll I'll listen to you in a little confession booth, and then I'll make a judgment as to how bad you've been, and then I'll prescribe you uh, how much you owe, and 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 if you've been real bad this week, you went out and had an affair on your wife this week, you beat up on your kids and everything, whoo, that's gonna cost you. That's going to cost you. You're going to have to put a thousand bucks in the plate. And then what I want you to do is I want you to go without fried chicken for two weeks. And the priest would decide what the punishment was. And it was called penance. You do penance, okay? Then we have something that comes along in the dark ages. We have a guy by the name of, I'm out of time already. Martin Luther. Martin Luther comes along and he's studying to be a priest and, and he's trying to do uh, according to the, the, the articles of the church and the Pope what he's told him to do and, and he goes in, he confesses and he's, he's assigned penance and he's out on the, on the steps of the cathedral out there in the snow and the ice and he's, he's, for his penance he has to get on his knees and climb up and down the steps you know, so many hundred times and his knees are bloody and blood's getting all over everywhere and he's climbing up and he gets a revelation. And this revelation is a scripture that comes to him. The just shall live by faith. And it's not penance, it's repentance. And so that births something. Something is restored to the original church. And the first thing that is restored to the original, that was taken away. Notice it falls into dark ages, but something is restored. And the first thing that is restored was the first thing that Jesus Christ came preaching, and that is repent. Your first step toward God has got to be repentance. And that starts the process of restoration. And then we go ahead and throw the next slide up there. And we're going to end today on this one. 
In the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Now, uh, I believe that this prophecy in the book of Joel, talking about former rain and latter rain, I believe, personally, it is a literal rain upon the nation of Israel. But I also believe that there is a mirror image of things that, uh, of the supernatural and as a matter of fact, my whole message today, what I'm going to be preaching later on, is, is on the whole premise of that, that there is an earthly kingdom, which is, the earthly kingdom is who? Israel. And the spiritual kingdom is who? The church. There is an earthly kingdom, and there is a heavenly kingdom. John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, okay, bifold. The kingdom of God is bifold. You have the earthly and you have the heavenly. When he, when he, when he called Abraham out of Ur of Chaldees, he told him, he said, I'm going to make of you, Abraham, of the sands of the seashore and multitude and the stars in heaven that you can't count either one of them. The sand by the seashore, that's earthly. And that is Israel. And the stars of heaven, that's the church. And Paul, whew, I'm feeling a little anointing now. I got to back off. We got to go take a break. Uh, but the apostle Paul picked up the pen and said, we are grafted in to Abraham through faith, amen, through the power of the Holy Ghost. And so I also believe that this is uh, not the, this, this prophecy in, in, in Joel chapter 2 is not necessarily completely about uh, the Holy Ghost being poured out, but I do believe that's a minor uh, part of it. I believe that there is, I don't believe the Holy Ghost has ever stopped being poured out. I believe he's always had a church. There's always been a thread uh, through the world since he started it. And I believe that this church has never, ever completely faded out. But for the most part, it fell into the dark ages and God is restoring to the church. And then we find what happened at Azusa Street in Topeka, Kansas, and the things that happened at the turn of the 1900s. We find the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And I'm so glad that I have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, aren't you? I'm glad I know the power of God living and moving inside. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and let's go to the Lord in thanksgiving and let's thank him for his word. Let's thank him for the power of the Holy Ghost and let's pray that he would have his will and his way in this service today. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the Holy Ghost. And I pray, God, you would move in this house.